Welcome, friends, to yet another episode of The Encouraging Word. I'm here with uh, Stephen Young, Director of Youth Ministries. Uh, my name is Paul Bennett, Associate, Associate Pastor of Rocky River United Methodist Church. And as we wind down the uh, summer season, kids are, are heading off to school. And uh, supposedly the weather is going to shift here eventually, although all I see in the forecast this week is 90s. Which is uh, awesome. Which is, yes, for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> some of us love 90s. Yes. Yeah. I, I melt starting in the 60s, so yep. 90s oh is a gosh. bit much. But uh, good to be back with you and good to continue our uh, present series and just to, to check in and, and uh, stay uh, connected in the midst of uh, transitioning seasons and and uh, the chaos of, of everyday life that we're all in the midst of. So uh, we, we want to start with our fit segment, those things that Stephen and I have encountered that are either funny or, or interesting or thought-provoking. And Stephen, I, as always, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, Stephen, as always, has, has a doozy for us. So what do you got for yeah. us, Stephen? Is, uh, <clears throat> there is a lot of conti- continuity with this one because it involves my girls again so having young kids always gives you a lot of funny interesting thought-provoking stuff having young kids yes huh? i guess oh yeah uh, the young, yeah young kids i got yeah you have the youngest yeah. kids oh. ever because they're young dad and young. joke alert dad joke <laughs> alert <laughs> it's because i have kids right yeah. um uh, i'll probably make some dad jokes here too go for it uh anyways but yeah so we um went to florida uh, a couple weeks ago for a family vacation it was a lot of fun um it was actually just as hot in florida as, as it is in ohio right now which um i like it you know i like warm weather anyways uh, we what's nice about florida is that um it's always warm so you have kind of exotic animals even though not super exotic um but there's lizards everywhere so anyone who's gone to florida um has probably seen these lizards running around and um when my girls saw the lizards they were like just amazed by them um so one in the one of the mornings that we had woken up <coughs> we went outside to the back and one of the lizards got somehow snuck underneath was in it was like on the back porch so like we we're able to kind of like um keep it from running away because they're pretty fast so we we're able to kind of surround it and i was just taking pictures and we we're kind of like hey look at the lizard and my youngest just like had no fear and she literally just wanted to pick it up and she started chasing it and she caught it and picked it up and held it and everything and um i don't even think i held it but she is just fearless (laughs) so i just love how bold she is even uh, my oldest mckenna held it for a little bit but she was scared but my youngest was bold and fearless courageous maybe a lot like her father um who didn't, who didn't <laughs> did. want to hold the lizard right. i think you yeah. mentioned yeah. right i was yeah. trying to Just film like that. that's right <laughs> <laughs> um so we got a great video i got a great video from that um it was just a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to be in florida i also um i was able to go on a little bit of a walk um actually kind of like a hike went to like one of the florida state parks and uh um this is this is kind of like a fit segment part two but I, on the hike, um, I went a little bit off the trail. And you know sometimes in Ohio where you walk into spider webs and you kind of like dust it off and you just keep going. I was walking through the, through the state park and I went off the trail a little bit and I saw this web. I'm like, huh, there's a web there and I was about to go around it. And then I saw one of this, this huge black and yellow spider on, um, in the center of the web and it it was huge and it reminded me why i wouldn't really want to live in florida because of these crazy giant spiders and who knows what else like crocs Mm. so yeah that's uh florida animals in florida wild they are wild and free (laughs) yes Yes. did you get to ride a a crocodile while you're down Uh, there no No. i didn't see any crocodiles i went by the stream and didn't didn't see any i was hoping this, i saw signs that gave warnings for crocodiles but didn't see any warnings to the crocodiles yeah, to well, yes. stay away there's a big spider here <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you don't exactly. want to be that must be what happened they exactly. all left because of the spider no it was uh didn't see any crocs but okay it was it was nice to go out and walk around state parks in florida though Different. yeah it's a lot different than ohio 
Not, yeah, it's pretty different. Yeah, to me, that's one of the, uh, the the best parts of traveling is just to get to experience different landscape, right. different plants and animals, right. and, and uh, as outdoorsy uh, type people, it definitely right. is a one of the the greatest thrills right. of um, of being on the move and enjoying right. our beautiful country. And uh, I guess my fit relates to a little bit of traveling that my family did as well. We um, had uh, tickets to Kennywood Amusement Park. Um, we actually purchased them, goodness, it's got to be close to three years ago. Oh, and then wow. uh, we had a, uh, the first summer after I bought them, we, we had some uh, family emergency stuff that kept us occupied all summer. So they allowed us to um, re-up the tickets for last year. And then uh, COVID happened, so they allowed us to <laughs> re-up the tickets for this year. So we're finally using these uh, tickets and uh, took the family out to Pittsburgh. Uh, great wow. place to visit. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, you know, taking the family out there, they would come to appreciate um, my my love of uh, Pittsburgh sports teams and such. And which is and weird because you're not from Pittsburgh, right? No, no, yeah. it's really not a a, a from thing yeah. or a proximity thing. It's just right. a an intelligence thing. <laughs> it's really what it boils down yeah. to. But but we went to Kennywood and um, had a great day together. Uh, the the one roller coaster that my family seemed the most intimidated by was called the Steel Curtain, which is <laughs> the name of the Steelers' infamous defense of the 70s. You know, so I thought that was more than appropriate that the Browns fans would be afraid of the Steel Curtain. Right. Uh, but uh, for my part, I yeah, I guess I can't speak much because I'm not a big roller coaster fan <laughs> so in, in general. I was afraid of the Steel Curtain too. <laughs> um, yeah, I I just have never really got my thrills off of being bounced around in a large you know metal um, object. But uh, so when my family was doing coasters, I did a few rides here and there. But mostly, I, I walked around and people watched. What and kind of rides? Like carousel, kind of like that. I did. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I did the bumper cars. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I did a carousel. Right. I did carousel. by yourself. No, no. No. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to ride the carousel. <laughs> yeah. Well, Any I, kids, sir? No, no kids. No. <laughs> my, well, my family was on, you know, probably a coaster. I would have felt odd. Right you know venturing <laughs> on by myself but if you pick one of the animals that are inside the carousel you don't you're not as visible to the you know to right. the onlookers right but uh not that i would know so yeah i did a few fun rides like uh the the spinning teacups or whatever you know <laughs> but, mm, carousel but, uh, teacups you're really uh, uh i'm really i'm uh, an adventurer yeah <laughs> But I did, at the end of the day, I, I had accomplished a major feat. I had the most steps on my, my oh. uh, fitness tracker that I've ever had in a single day. Wow. And to me, I, I still had a blast just walking around hanging out with the family. But yeah. Yeah, thank you. Big moment in my life. I think I celebrated by uh, getting a bunch of chicken wings on the way home <laughs> and <laughs> kind of canceling out all the work I did. Right. So those are those. Uh, that was some of our traveling, and, and Stephen's family uh, enjoyed a couple of trips this summer. And uh, but we're, now we're back in back in uh, the mode, back in podcast mode. Um, good to be back with you. And we're gonna uh, pick up with the book of First John. We've done the the first and second chapter, and uh, Stephen's going to uh, present for us uh, the third chapter of. Uh, first John. So, uh, as we've mentioned last uh, several in this series, if you're in a, a place where you're able to have the the Bible open in front of you, it really enhances your experience of these episodes. Uh, but uh, if you're not, then just listen along, uh, stay nice and tuned in, and, and we'll provide uh, the content for you. So, First John chapter three, right? Right. <clears throat> I'm not going to really present this. I'll just read it. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, well, now my hopes are shot. Pre presenting the production of First John, Chapter 3. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll read this and then we'll um, continue our study that we've started. So First John, Chapter 3. Uh, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that is that it did not know him. Um, dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, or been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. 
All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does um, what is right, the one who does what is right, is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed um, remains in them. You can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For, the, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that what we we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and we know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. If this is, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and have set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in this, the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. All right. So uh, that is a, a dense chapter right there. <laughs> right, for sure. Lots of good stuff going on in there, but um, one of those chapters of, of scripture that, uh, apart from taking time to break it down, peel back some of those layers of the, the onion, uh, we were left with just a jumble of words and concepts <laughs> right. bouncing around in our heads. So right. uh, hence the reason we're, we're going to spend some time, commit some time to digging into this. And, and uh, before we dive right in, uh, Stephen and I decided to, to throw a little curveball at you, change our, our format just a bit for how we're going to approach uh, this chapter and see how it goes, uh, maybe adapt it going forward as well. But rather than um, just offer a presentation of sorts of the chapter of First John chapter 3, uh, we would like to try and make things a little bit more conversational. So rather than uh, essentially coming at you with a, a lecture, uh, as insightful as hopefully they have been the last couple of uh, episodes, we, we want to keep it more uh, discussion-based. And so Stephen and I have prepared some, some questions uh, that we're going to toss out uh, towards one another, allow each other to uh, respond, and, and then to, uh, to pipe in on our own with our own thoughts. Uh, once again, to hit some of the, the high points and, and uh, the, the key uh, points of, of this chapter, uh, but to do so in a more conversational tone. So uh, with that in mind, we're, we're going to start working our way through the chapter and, and addressing some questions uh, spread around throughout First John 3. First question I'm going to throw at Stephen here. And uh, he, is, he is not prepared for this, which is all the more reason to be excited <laughs> yeah. uh, to hear his yeah, incredible too. response. Uh, but there's this concept in, in 1 John uh, chapter 3, and uh, Stephen is, uh, astutely pointed out to me, is what I did share this question a few minutes ago with him, um, that, uh, that John 
uses this phrase throughout his writing, even in the Gospel of John, uh, a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? And we see this reference here in chapter 3 in, in several different places, even in just the first 10 verses. Um, you know, for example, first uh, verse 1, how great is the love of the Father, uh, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Uh, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. And then jumping down to verse 10, uh, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is not a child of God. Or I'm sorry, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So uh, this concept of, of a child of God is tossed around a lot in this chapter, uh, but truly it's, it's throughout the scriptures. Uh, God refers to us as his children. The authors of, of many of these texts refer to uh, followers of Christ as children of God. Um, but I, I wanted to pose this question to Stephen because personally I've, I've had some uh, confusion or at least it seems to be some inconsistency within the church and uh, within people I know as to what a child of God is. To who all does it pertain to? What does it take to be a child of God? And how should we understand that phrase uh, and apply it? So, uh, wow us, Stephen, with right. um, your insightful response. Right. I don't... <laughs> we'll see how much... Um, I'm not going to be able to wow you, but um, I'll be able to maybe give some answers here. Um, I think, actually... Um, and also, Paul and I hope that these questions are, will be questions that, um, that you may have with the text as well. Um, so hopefully you pick some questions that can give some clarification. Anyways, I think the best place to start with um, the children of God is actually, as Paul mentioned, in, is in John. So there's actually, um, when you read First John, you see a lot of crossover with just John the Gospel. Um, which probably because it's the same writer, <laughs> but um, he keeps the same themes running throughout John and First John, and um, I'm assuming Second John and Third John as well. I mean, he's also wrote Revelation. So, anyways, um, but I think you get a real clarity of the what the meaning of the children of God is in John chapter one, um, verse eleven. So John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, um, he, yeah, so actually let's start, let's just kind of read it all in context. We go from chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, which is Jesus. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So he really gives a clear definition of what it means to be a child of God. And what it means to be a child of God is, um, is yet all that receive him, who receive Christ, and those who believe in him, like believe in his name, they are the ones who are, um, would be called, as John would identify, as those becoming children of God. Um, and that not children born out of natural descent. So kind of like, not just from my way of understanding that is um, people who were, for example, if you're born Jewish, that doesn't just automatically make you a child of God necessarily. Or if you're a Christian family, and just because you... you your husband, husband, wife may be Christians, doesn't make your kids necessarily Christians, um, nor is it a human decision or a husband's will, um, meaning that to be born of God is strictly through faith in God and believing in him. It has nothing to do with um, the passing on of our genes necessarily. Um, so it's all, it's all about belief in his name. It's all about being given um, belief in his name and receiving him. So when you look at that, and then you come to First John chapter three, with that definition, um, you can see. Just also, I love in chapter three how excited John comes off. He's like, 
um, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and in NIV, it gives an ex- explanation mark on on children of God and um, exclamation mark when it says that is what we are. So um, it's just amazing when you see that this being a child of God isn't something also, it kind of goes to that long theological debate of like, we come, we make the decision to follow God as well. Um, and scripture also says that God chooses us as well. So um, a child of God is someone, again, who's received God and who follows God. Um, and I think the tough, kind of what Paul's getting at here, I think the tough question is, is like you hear in our society where a lot everyone will say, we're all children of God, right? Um, in a sense, so there's, in a sense, John would say a true child of God is someone who has received Christ and who believes in God and who's following him. Um, that's what a true child of God. Now we're all created by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and God creates us all, but we're all not children of God. Um, speaking strictly from Scripture and the definition that John gives um, in his Gospels. And also, you can also see that in verse 10, as Paul pointed out, that there's the children of God and there's the children of the devil. And actually, Jesus mentions this again. Actually, let me go there. And John, again, in John's Gospel, uh, is pointing out Jesus says that... Um, he says that to the Jews, he says, you're not following your father in heaven, you're following, essentially saying you're following the devil. Um, and Jesus says the thing, same thing in John chapter 8. So it's just, John again is making that difference between those who follow the Lord and those who are not following God. Those who are following God are children of God, those who are not following God are children of the devil. Now, that's also like, I wouldn't say to my non-believing neighbor that, oh, you're you're a child of the devil. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's comforting. That's not going to go over very well. Um, but I think what John is getting at here is he's trying to really make a very clear that the children of God are those who have received Jesus and those who are following after him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that give some answers to yeah you, that's you could fill fantastic. in filling gaps or sure no I, i'm glad you had uh enough knowledge of john to bounce around to those different passages in the gospel as well um i think bottom line for me is uh, everything i think you said is is accurate and true and i think it it's important that we understand that this concept applies to those who have chosen uh, to receive that label and that that life, um, not to everybody who is a, a created being by God. It's it's to those who have chosen it, which is difficult for some people to hear. Uh, it doesn't give you the, the warm fuzzies, um, but the the truth is that God desires us to be his children. If we are not his children, then it's because we've chosen not to receive his free gift of um, what the Bible would describe as as uh, adoption or, or sonship or daughtership. Um, and that's one of the things that was coming to mind for me, Stephen, as you were talking, is uh, the, the concept of adoption and right. uh, becoming wow. heirs uh, and, of, of God and co-heirs with Christ. It right. fits right into this. And mm-hmm. um, I want to say it's Galatians or one of Paul's epistles where it really it, it takes that theme and runs uh, pretty deep with it. But this notion that um, God has uh, brought us into being. God desires a relationship with us, and there's almost like a uh, there's a, a reference in the the passage that I'm thinking of that I don't know as well as you knew the John passages, but but to uh, somebody who almost oversees and and kind of uh, cares for a child until it comes of age, until the time comes when the child is ready to receive the gift of its inheritance. Uh, from its adopted uh, parents to receive the gift of its inheritance and and essentially the adoption as a child is uh, that inheritance or the bulk of that inheritance and and we um, are created by God we're loved by God God desires relationship with us but at some point in life when we've reached that point of maturation where we can make this kind of decision for ourselves we have to uh, re uh, not reiterate uh we have to um 
What's the word I'm looking for? We have to uh, respond essentially to God's offer, to God's gift of us, uh, of of His Son and of His desire to be our Father and of, for us to be His children. We have to respond to that by embracing the gift and, and embracing our life as His children and the inheritance that comes with it. So I think uh, bringing all these concepts together uh, kind of helps paint a, a full picture of it. Um, but I, I think uh, that's an important thing to come away with. What is a child of God truly? Right. And for any anyone who wants some homework, I found <laughs> the passage. Of, uh, anyone could read this. <laughs> John chapter eight, um, verses forty-two through forty-seven, and those are the kind of passages where Jesus says, um, really harsh, kind of calling out the religious leaders and those. Who said their father's their father is Abraham and God says no your father is the devil so that's mm-hmm. very very <laughs> honest words of Jesus right there um, and that same um, language again appears in First John um, and I think what's also here um, I think is really cool to see too is that um, in First John um, chapter three verse one it says. This is what we are. We're the children of God. And then verse 2, it says, um, and what we will be has not been made known. Mm. So there's kind of like what we are are the children of God, but what we will be has not been known. So there's this like um, this this tension of this is who we are as the children of God, but yet there's still something more to come. How Who will we be? Um, and he gives kind of a hint that we will be like Christ when he appears. Um, so there's just kind of like this, we haven't reached complete fulfillment of what it means to be a child of God, which is incredibly exciting um, to think about. It's almost the back to the inheritance concept. It's, right. you know, we receive a portion of our inheritance or we, we receive almost that, that adoption and that we, we take on the name of Christ, the name of his child, uh, child of God, when we say yes to, to living for him. But then our, our greatest inheritance awaits us, um, you know, at a, a later date uh, right. upon his return, I think, is the right. um, what is being implied here. Right. So, yeah, it gives us something to look forward to right. as well. All right. So the question I'm going to throw out there is in verse six. Um, this is a kind of a question I've had a lot growing up. Um, in verse six, it says, no one who lives in him um, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Um, maybe I'll reverse 5-2. But we know that he appeared, Jesus, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who can, continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So the question I have is, what if I'm a Christian and I continue to sin? Or, or you could say, if I'm a Christian, will I continue to sin? Um, so in verse 6 it kind of says like, well, there's you shouldn't, right? Or, um, yeah, that's mm. a pretty <laughs> tough question there. Do I get a? Uh, <laughs> does everybody get a, a pass on like one question? Each of us right? get to yeah. pick one yeah, and say, uh, one "I'll pass." pass. Uh, you get a that's, call in too. Oh, okay. Phone a friend. Phone a friend yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't even know who to call because <laughs> if I knew, I probably would have asked them the question a long time ago too. That's a tough one. Uh, it's a tough one. I think. Um, I've I've tried to uh, discern the truth behind that for for many many years. Um, I'll, I'll start with this. I think one thing that is important to recognize is that when we approach a question like that, we come at it differently than God does. I think in our minds, we want to approach the question of uh, you know what what should we look like as followers of Christ? Do we keep sinning? How much do we sin? How much is okay? At what point do we cross the line? No longer are we are we saved? Um, we want to approach that question from like a, 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 a surface level and a, a quantity standpoint. We want to be able to say, okay, you know, if I uh, if I commit this many sins on a given day, then I'm, I'm still in. Or uh, maybe even if I sin knowingly, 
but within uh, the span of two years, I've tackled that sin and I've moved on and left it behind me in the dust. Then I'm okay. I'm still, I'm still making the cut. We want to uh, attach, um, you know, all of these these concepts like how often or how much or you know what point am I in or am I out? And I don't think that's how God looks at it at all. I don't think it's a you know, are we are we on this side of the line or that side of the line? Clearly, at the end of the day, there are some who are saved and some who are not. But I think God uh, ultimately focuses on the heart while we're focusing on, you know, individual acts or checking this box or that box or breaking this rule or that rule. God is focusing on the heart. Uh, the, the, the short, simple answer to part of this question is, is, um, that we will continue to sin even after we have accepted Christ into our hearts. Uh, you know, very simply, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All will continue to sin. Uh, we don't arrive during our time in this world. I think the goal as followers of Christ is that um, not, I think the, the, the end uh, in our lives and, and the intents, our overall goal should be to become more like Christ, uh, to, to be closer in relationship with him. Um, the means to that end uh, and, and in some ways a, a, a side effect of uh, pushing towards it is that we will, we will sin less and we will uh, less times and, and with less intensity and with less intent, um, we, will, we will sin less because uh, the more we resemble Christ, the less sin is able to creep into our lives. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if somebody were to ask me flat out, okay, you know, so this, uh, uh, this individual is a Christian, a professed Christian. They, they are in a Christian community. They're seeking after Christ. They have uh, this area of sin in their life, though, that they, um, that uh, maybe even they're aware of. Uh, they, they struggle with this one particular thing, and they agonize over it. They, they want to conquer it, but they keep struggling with it. They keep going back to it over and over and over again. Uh, do I feel like this passage is implying that um, you know somebody who fits that description is automatically out I, I, I do not think so I, I don't I don't think that uh, somebody who's struggling in sin or even repeatedly or knowingly uh, commits the same sin over and over is automatically out I, I think it comes down to a, a judgment of the heart and I think God wants us to understand that if we continue to live in sin and we, we express no remorse and we don't uh, show any sign of, of progressing forward and, and beginning to conquer it or at least uh, attack it, um, then that probably indicates that our hearts are, are not right with him and our salvation uh, may at some point be you know at, at, at risk if that's the life we choose or we continue to to um, you know selectively remain deaf and blind to the things that we're doing and and to what's going on in our hearts but I don't think there's a, a magic like cutoff that says somebody who uh, is is sinning and aware of it um, is automatically out um, that's something that I've gone back and forth with over the years because I think there we, we do need to have some sense of uh, urgency and um, almost uh, there's this concept of the fear of God I think is a valuable one that we revere God enough that we understand that if we're you know if we're not truly seeking him out with our entire heart and our in our, in our whole lives uh, there is a point to which you know which we we will come up short and uh, we will not um, truly have Christ in our heart and thus our salvation is at risk but I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as as um, as it appears on the surface in this particular passage uh, I don't know if that gets at the heart of where you're going with the question or what your thoughts are yeah. uh, Stephen on that yeah I think that answers it well especially especially what you were saying there at the end I think um, I think what it's really saying here too is that you may look at chapter 1 um, verse 9 it says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and also it says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar so John really clearly understands that <laughs> we can't be without sin and that 
if we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar. So he, he understands that we still sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he's saying the Christians are never are going to stop sinning completely. I think what he's saying here in verse 6 is saying that um, whoever keeps on sinning without any sense of repentance, uh, as I think what Paul said before, without any repentance or remorse, um, even I would say probably more repentance because yeah. that's an act. It's different. Um, yeah, because you can have remorse but not really... Um, have any it may not lead to any change mm-hmm. repentance is an a, is a more of an active word that says i am turning from this thing mm-hmm. um so and again verse 9 gives you that that verse of repentance of confessing your sins um to jesus so he purifies you um so like no one who's a christian can't keep on sinning without repentance um also um I would say if someone who keeps on sinning, they don't truly love Jesus. And and that's what that would also say there at the end of that verse, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Um, which means that if you really knew Jesus, if you had really seen Jesus, or if you really loved Jesus, you wouldn't continue in the habit of sinning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like in, in a marriage, you know, if, if someone um, truly loves their spouse, um, they're go- not, first of all, they're not going to get an affair to begin with, but you can't live this double life of living in an affair and then telling your wife that you truly love her with all your heart. Like, right. it just doesn't work. It, it, you don't really love your wife with all your heart, right? Yeah. Or you don't really love your husband with all your heart. So, um, in essence, it's the same thing. It's saying, oh, I, I truly love Jesus, but your, your life is you're continuing to sin, you're not showing repentance at all, mm-hmm. and that's evidence that you really don't know him. You really haven't seen Jesus. You really haven't been changed by him. Um, and John would say you're really not a children of God at that point um, because you're continuing to sin without any repentance and without any change of heart, without, without a desire to stop or change. Um, because if you truly love Jesus when you sin, because we will still sin, but when you truly love Jesus and you sin, you have this this yearning in your soul and your heart to repent and change. And maybe it doesn't always come automatically, okay? Sometimes Christians can struggle with sin um, for days or months, and then, but eventually they come around. The Spirit of God, I think, come, makes us come around um, to um, confessing and repenting our sins to Jesus because we just love him too much mm. to hold that in. Um, yeah, that would be kind of my response to that. Mm. Um, so another question I have that went throughout there is uh, verse 8. Um, so verse 8, it says that uh, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. My question is, what is, um, Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? What do you think John means by that? Boy, it's a, an uplifting one here. <laughs> I know this. Yeah, I just thought about that. <laughs> well, yeah. My next question right. is going to be, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? What is the devil's work? Um, so the devil is, as I understand scripture, a fallen angel, um, is a uh, a, a being who once was uh, aligned with the intent of, of God and his love and his plan for humanity, um, but became consumed with greed and, and jealousy. Um, and uh, the, the heart of the devil is, is kind of represented well with, within um, the story of the Garden of Eden and, and the fall and Adam and Eve. Um, you know, experiencing uh, this uh, feeling that they are equal to God and and being enticed to do something that God specifically told them not to do. I think that represents what uh, Satan is is about and what is uh, Satan's trying to accomplish. But I think it's important to first establish that uh, Satan 
was um, part of the the uh, cosmic uh, beings that that God created and and God called into um, order to serve Him and to serve His purpose in this world and and chose uh, after seeing and, and coming to know God chose to reject uh, God's plan and to um, turn his back on God and, and to pursue uh, his own uh, means and, and his own intent and um, very simply I think uh, the devil is about uh, destroying God's work in this world God's work being to uh, draw people into relationship with him and into the likeness of Christ and I think the devil exists um, and is is obsessed with uh, destruction and destroying everything that God is seeking to do in our lives. Um, I, I read somewhere uh, this concept, and I think Scripture backs it up, that uh, Satan really has no original thoughts. Uh, there's, there's no original content in, in, in the ways that he works in our lives and manipulates us. What Satan does, essentially, is, is take uh, God's... Uh, pursuit of us and God's word for us and and his plan for our lives and he he twists it he contorts it um, and and uh, makes it into something that serves his purposes and kind of sneaks up on us in the process and kind of comes at us from left field with uh, the with manipulating God's plan for us and, and God's connection to us and throughout scripture you, you see that Satan uh, isn't uh, coming up with his own stuff he's manipulating the word of God trying to entice people to do things that, that would uh, pull us further from Christ um, he is twisting God's uh, God's grace that is at work in our lives um, from the beginning and, and changing our experience of it by trying to get into our heads and into our hearts in, in ugly and, and despicable ways. Um, so uh, ultimately, the, the devil's work, uh, Satan's work, is to destroy um, God's plan and God's intent for humanity and replace it with something self-serving uh, that is, is more in service uh, would would cause us to be in service to ourselves and uh, ultimately to the the um, heart of Satan and, and what his intent is, which is uh, to oppose God and, and his plan for uh, for this world and, and for each and every one of us. Um, so I think we uh, I think we need to move past and, and uh, get past this notion of satan being this little uh red devil dude with horns and pitchfork and recognize that satan uh, wears all sorts of different disguises but none of them are um easy to spot and uh he's very adaptable um very very uh intelligent and and uh, knows god because he was created by and served alongside or underneath god for some time and knows god and and god's uh, means of reaching out to us in love and so is is all the more qualified to uh, oppose that uh, because of of his background satan's, satan's background so um if if you really want to dig into this uh the the book i would have to recommend for you at the same time cringe knowing that you would would read it because of how heavy and and daunting it is is uh the screw tape letters by c.s lewis i've never seen a better depiction of uh satan's work uh through the perspective of several demons who are, are in service to satan um and that came up on i think Stephen and i's list of uh, favorite books ever that we did in a previous episode but screw tape letters is uh, how I've best come to understand and, and uh, see what Satan is at uh, uh, about in our lives and, and how he tries to get into our head, into our hearts. Right. Yeah, I think that definitely answers my question. I think I like uh, kind of real quickly um, tag on a little bit at the end so we can get to our last two. Um, but I think we get a lot of what the devil's work in the garden. I think you find a lot of what the Bible is about in those first couple of pages in Genesis. Um, but the devil's work from the very beginning, you can see in the temptation of Adam and Eve, is, um, is to get us to doubt God's character, to doubt God's word, and to doubt God's purpose. Um, I think it, the devil works towards that, towards us as Christians, but also confusing the world and 
keeping the world from truly knowing who Jesus is. Mm. Um, I think that's all part of the devil's work um, as well. So, yeah, the devil is definitely, and sometimes people don't want to believe in that, And um, but scripture is very clear that there is some sort of, usually it's called the devil or the evil one or the serpent or the tempter or the accuser. Um, this evil being has, um, the Bible clearly identifies an evil being um, that is at work in the world. And that, actually, I would say that's a theme running through scripture is God conquering the evil one. So a lot of times it's in the background, sometimes it's in the fore foreground. Um, but we see in Revelation definitely how clearly um, God's purpose is to destroy the evil one. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. Great. Well, that's a, actually a good transition to another chipper uh, conversation <laughs> we can have here uh, through my next question. Uh, it's uh, found in verse 12 here, but I'm going to read 11 to kind of set the context. We're digging into the story. You mentioned the Garden of Eden. Uh, Cain and Abel didn't get to live in the Garden of Eden because of uh, the devil and, and all of his uh, schemes. But uh, quickly, these are verses 11 and, and 12. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So my question is, uh, what, what is John trying to say here about the story of Cain and Abel and, and why uh, Cain arrived at this place where he even entertained the thought of killing his own brother. So what what motivated that action and how can we learn uh, from uh, Cain's, Cain's yeah. very grievous mistake here? Right. Yeah, this is a, if anyone is feeling happy before they listen to this podcast now they're feeling completely dead we didn't plan this I'm no, proud. no that's why we started right. with you right. know uh musical parks yeah, right. and, yeah. and yeah. kids playing with lizards right. and, yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah i think the best way to explain this is actually kind of using the illustration of um since we're all the kids are starting back to school and stuff it made me think of um sometimes kids will bully other kids just because so for example like someone may bully a kid because they might like, oh you you think you're a goody two-shoes and you're always doing what's right and you're always doing what pleases the teacher you're always doing your homework you're always on time you're always doing this and those kids can be tend to be bullied because their good behavior reflects and shows how much that other kid is not doing what they're supposed to do so like you know their good behavior reflects on to the behavior of the one who is not listening or doing what they're told or showing up on time or whatever so then they get upset at the instead of changing themselves they get upset at the kid who's actually doing what they're supposed to do and that's kind of i think reflects here on this cain and abel story that you know abel um is doing what's called of him he's doing what's righteous he's walking with the lord he's he's um, doing what's called of, called of him to do, and Cain is not, and Cain is getting just, you could just, again, like the bully in a school, wants to pick on him to the point where he kills him. So, like, he, his brother's good behavior reflects bad on him, so how about I just get rid of my brother, you know, so I no longer have to have this righteousness that continues to blind me and show me of my own sin right and I, and I think actually to be honest I would say that's part of the motivation of what caused the Pharisees even to have Jesus crucified you know Jesus was feeding the hungry and the poor and preaching a message of hope and love and 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 was living they couldn't find a sin against him until they had to like say well you know he's against Rome like really Jesus crime was that he claimed to be a king and Rome killed those who claimed to be kings so like they had to come up and when jesus was in his bogus trial it even says in the scriptures they couldn't find anything to accuse him of and the stories weren't lining up or anything you know so and they decided to kill jesus after he proclaimed to be the messiah and he said you'll see me coming in the clouds of glory and then they oh that's blasphemy you know but jesus was actually speaking the truth um, but I think Jesus' actions in his life was reflecting bad on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that just like Cain, Abel's actions were reflecting bad on Cain, so Cain killed his brother. Um, so you'll see some of the same logic when it comes to Jesus as well. 
Um, but but that's, that's, I guess that's kind of how I would answer that question. It's a, a great insight connection to the Pharisees and, and uh, Jesus's crucifixion. And, and I think you nailed it. I think anytime we see somebody in our lives uh, that represents where right. we know we are supposed, supposed to be, to be uh, something right. we're supposed to be accomplishing or a way we're supposed to be living, I think ultimately right. we 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 can't help but respond like we can't just right. look at that and have right. no response whatsoever and so we choose one of two extremes either we we get our act together and, and we try and um, become more like that person and we, right. we kind of grab onto them and pull ourselves up um, at their you know from their shoestrings or uh, we begin to resent them right. and the fact that they're right. almost creating like a, a mirror uh, to, right. to look at ourselves right. for who we really are right. and how much we're coming up short. We right. resent them and begin to take our our uh, insecure anger out right. on them and uh, seek to, to tear them down uh, right. to try and in a, in a very backwards and unhealthy way make ourselves right. feel better. Right. Uh, so we start using these <laughs> phrases like, right. I don't think they say goody two-shoes anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always wonder what the origin what, what of that. F- right. What would the phrase be in today's? I, I, I hear um, try hard. Try hard. Yeah. You're a try hard. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. so yeah. you're just being right. a try hard. And I think exactly. if somebody said that to me, I'd turn to them and say, or, well, thank you. Brown nosing <laughs> mean the same thing? Brown nosing is... That's maybe more like trying to, you know, yeah. suck up to somebody okay. or yeah, something yeah, like that, right. but it's similar. Right. Um, but yeah, try hard. Try hard, I, I hear sometimes. Um, well, you have older kids that would know this. Yeah, yeah. Well, like the uh, in, in gym class nowadays, you don't necessarily always play. Uh, well, part of the regular activity, I guess, is, is running, just running laps right. or jogging laps. And my right. kids would tell me about about how the kids that actually ran would be called tryhards. They would be ridiculed right. by the other kids, and right. the ones who just walked around in right. circles, you know, were, were normal right. and were accepted. And that right. was, you know, so the, right. this term tryhard bounced around. I feel like I've experienced the same thing, too, like in football practices and stuff. Like, you have, like, a Rudy player in the football practice yeah. who's going really hard all the time, right. and right. the starters are like, hey, dude, you're making me look bad. Stop. <laughs> right. Stop trying so hard. Isn't that you know? crazy? Yeah. And, and, then, and then in a completely different context, you'll have that same situation, and everybody will revere and look up to that person. Right. You know, like on a professional sports team, you would yeah. hope that your leaders are the, the ones right. trying the hardest and setting the right. bar for, right. you know, so it all depends on how we perceive right. that person in the moment. And it's also the motivation of the person. So say yeah. someone who's being a tryhard, they may be doing it out of the wrong motivation just to appease. They're not doing it purely because that's what's right. They're doing it either to gain an advantage over something and kids will sniff that out as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Make other people um, look bad that right. are not doing exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Yep. So... Yeah, good stuff. I don't know if you want to just do. I was thinking, because uh, I think you, we could. Your last question, I think, lines up really well. Um, your question for verse seventeen, I think, lines up well with. Can we just go right yeah, into that? Yeah, All right, yeah. so we are on to our last uh, question. Not here. that I know what his questions are. No, <laughs> we we weren't making it up. We just, we, our agreement was that we would share questions right before we went on the right. air, just to make sure we didn't have the same questions, right? Right, right exactly. Make sure we didn't duplicate each other's <laughs> efforts, um, but we didn't want to come in with a rehearsed response. Right. So hopefully, you're feeling the the authenticity <laughs> that is flowing freely today. Yeah. Uh, but our last question then that we'll look at uh, is drawn from verse 17, and I'll make it kind of a two-parter because uh, verse 20 has a, a concept that I think is uh, can piggyback right with it. Uh, but verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And my question uh, for this and for the verse we're about to read is how, how literal do we take this verse? If anyone has material possessions, uh, sees his brother or sister in need, has no pity. Um, and then the uh, second part of it, verse 20, whenever our hearts condemn us. Wait a second. Verse 22, my apologies. Um, and let me start with 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask 
because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So uh, first part is how literal do we take this concept that if we don't give uh, of our possessions to somebody in needs, uh, we, we are not truly loving God. And um, if we love God, the implication of verse 22 here is that anything we ask, God will provide us. So how literal do we take those two yeah. statements? Well, I guess I'll look at the first part. I, I, I will say it's pretty literal, um, especially when he uses, in verse 16, he uses Jesus laying down his life as an example, so how we ought to live. Um, that's pretty literal. <laughs> um, and then it says, if anyone has material possessions, he's a brother and sister in need, has no pity on how can the love of God be in them. Um, and I love verse 18 too. It says, don't love is just words or speech but with actions and truth again making it very literal <laughs> I mean, John is like really pressing it into them um, pressing into us um, how to take verse 17 right um, so yeah I mean I think it's taking very literal now does that mean that you I mean I know when I drive to work I can see people who are homeless what that's kind of debatable um i've talked to certain people about what happens there on the side of streets and stuff um because sometimes they're actually mani manipulating and they're, they're actually doing their trade-off and there's a whole system <laughs> so and my dad works in a city mission or he did he just retired and he kind of talked about how men at the mission will take turns and there's a whole again a whole system behind it but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't give to them but um so I think in verse 17 is when you see someone in need, I think it, I think it applies to people we don't know, but especially to people who we do know, especially people who, who are confessing Christians, but anyone that we do know, Christian or not, I think we have the responsibility to help them when we see that they're in dire and some sort of need that we know that we can meet. Um, I think there is a responsibility um, to do that. Um, for sure, and I, I think he's going very literal with that. So that would be my quick answer. I like it. I, I think that our instinct—not our instinct, our temptation—is to try and find a way to weasel out of <laughs> of this verse. And there, uh, you know, for those who maybe have been guilty of that before, myself included, just know that there are a number of other verses in scripture that reiterate this concept uh, just right. with different wording. But if we know of, of somebody with a need and we are not um, you know, giving of our excess to, to help meet those needs, then, um, then somehow we are, are lacking in our demonstration of God's love uh, to that person. And I think it is something we are to take literal um, I think I would pull in, though, from verse 22 here, uh, the other concept, and that is that when we uh, profess to, to love God and are seeking Him uh, in a transformed way and, and living for Him, um, God provides for us anything that we ask, anything we ask. So I think if we understand this from verse 22, we can take it then and apply it to 17. So <clears throat> how I don't read this in verse 22 is, boy, if you if you love Jesus and ask him for a Porsche, he'll give you a Porsche, right? <laughs> I think, um, you know, that's kind of the cliche way of, of approaching this, but I think we all know that that's not true, even though in our lives, sometimes we try and convince ourselves otherwise, that if we love God, um, you know, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't, our, our loved ones shouldn't suffer this disease, or we shouldn't have, uh, we shouldn't lose our job, or we shouldn't go through hard times. I don't think that this promise in 22 is, is suggesting that if we love God, uh, God will give us anything we want. I think it's saying that if we love God, then we will be transformed by our love for God such that the things that we seek are things that will fall within God's will for us and his plan for our lives. Uh, and in that case, then anything that we truly seek out of a love for God and a desire to uh, fulfill his, his will for our lives, then is going to be something that God will uh, desire to provide us and, and will follow through with this promise. And I think you take that and then you apply it to verse 17. Um, if we're showing God's love to other people who are in need, I think um, 
you know, other folks who are in need don't necessarily know what to ask for. They don't know what their needs are. All of us, on, on some level, don't know what our precise needs are. Um, that uh, our spiritual needs are much greater than our physical needs. We don't know what to ask for. And I think as Christians, if we truly love God, we will help meet the needs of people. And anybody who comes to us seeking help, uh, we need to provide uh, uh, for that need, for a need. But um, not necessarily like God handing a a free Porsche to somebody who says they love him, but uh, like God providing for the true needs of those individuals who come to him in love. So I think I'm not necessarily saying that if somebody asks for food or money that we shouldn't provide that, but we should also be discerning and making sure that as we have the ability and then try to meet the needs of the people around us, we are uh, seeking ways to meet their true needs, uh, their spiritual needs. And if we do so through meeting physical needs, all the, all the better. Um, but I think we need to be discerning just like God is in responding to our requests uh, for the things that we say we need or we want. We need to be discerning in how we meet the needs of the people around us, not to get us off the hook uh, for doing so, but to be discerning and wise as we do so. Right. Yep. I would agree with that as well. Um, I real quickly here at the end. I know we've crossed over the hour mark. So if you're still listening to this, you're truly devoted Thank and you. probably depressed because <laughs> <laughs> of our, right. how heavy it's been. Um, but also, real quickly, John and James chapter four basically says what Paul just said. Um, He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives Mm -hmm. that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So it's kind of like when you're, it says you do not receive from God because you're asking with the wrong motives and God knows our hearts and what he knows why we're asking for things. Um, God cannot be fooled. So, um, yeah. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully that um, this was helpful. And um, and I'm sure, I mean, I would love to have people um, email us questions. If you have questions um, about First John, that would be fantastic to answer questions that were sent in. Um, but, again, we just thank you all for listening. And hopefully we can see everyone in church. We're in person. We've been in person for a long time now. Well, not long but long enough and that's been really really great it's been fantastic and i'm really excited about that so check us out on sunday 8 10 and 11 30 so 8 30 8 30 10 11 30 very good there you go if you want to come at 8 and talk to paul you can come early he'll be <laughs> in his office <laughs> prepping but you're welcome right, to come talk right. to me i just may not say much more. you can just go exactly. to the chat and prepare right. yourself uh, there, for an attitude yeah. of worship there yeah. you go there you go all right thanks and we'll talk to you later